Geopolitics and Empire welcomes back renowned Swiss historian, best-selling author and founder and director of the Swiss Institute for Peace and Energy Research in Basel, Daniela Ganser. Welcome back to Geopolitics and Empire, Daniela. Thanks a lot, Harvey, for inviting me. Yeah, we, we spoke many years ago when I Skyped you into my class at the Tecnologico de, de Monterrey, the, the only university in all of Latin America that is invited to Davos and officially, I think, a World Economic Forum partner. And, you know, one of your early groundbreaking books we discussed dealt with NATO state terrorism, as I call it, and uh, Operation Gladio. And yeah, I'm happy to see that you have new books in English. I've got the new one right here, um, USA, The Ruthless Empire from Skyhorse. And honestly, if I were still teaching international relations, I'm not kidding. Uh, this would have been uh, assigned reading for my students. It literally covers everything I taught on U.S. foreign policy. And maybe if you want to tell us, you know, just start with the book, uh, you know, how you came about writing it and, and you know, why you wrote USA Ruthless Empire. Um, the idea really was to give somebody who doesn't know much about uh, U.S. imperialism at all um, an overview. So I really start with Christopher Columbus over the Europeans going over the Atlantic and then fighting uh, in North America and then the Declaration of Independence and then how they grabbed the colonies from the Spanish in 1898. Um, uh, you know, when, when, when in Cuba, the main exploded, then they said that the Spanish are responsible, although, although they were not responsible. And then the Americans um, uh, take over Cuba, they take over the Philippines, Puerto Rico, and Guam. And that's really in 1898, when US imperialism starts, I think. And then in the role played in World War One, the role played in World War Two, including the Pearl Harbor history, is in it. And then the the biggest part of the book really is on on the period after World War Two, because that's that's really the uh, the important data that we have to look at today. I mean, the U.S. is the most powerful country of the world uh, in in terms of military technology. It has the biggest defense budget, uh, eight hundred and eighty billion dollars per year that's that's just insane that's a that's a figure that has to be repeated it's 880 billion dollars a year and um china has around 300 russia has around 80 so just to give you the correlations um so the book then goes into the creation of the cia and how in iran the mossadegh government was overthrown and in guatemala arbenz was overthrown i, I go into the vietnam war and and I go into Iran contra scandals. I, I really, it's a chronological order. Um, uh, to, to, until 9 11, you know, terrorist attacks, uh, World Trade Center 7, Iraq war, Syria war. And actually, and that, that's something I had to add at the end, you know, at, until the Russian invasion of Ukraine on 24th of uh, uh, February 2022. So covers a lot of territory, so to speak. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, I mean, from my perspective, basically everything is like a false flag uh, operation. Uh, you know, from from the very beginning, as you, as you detail, uh, you know, from the U.S. Mexico wars, uh, what was done to the Native Americans, and then on and on, they just use this technique nonstop. And again, I, I highly recommend people yep. get the digital or or the physical copy of the book. And uh, you know, you, you mentioned empire, and I think empire in general. And as you mentioned in the book, American Empire in our time, the new Rome, uh, as you cite in the book, seems to be one of the core reasons for many of, of the ills facing mankind in the past, but also today. And, you know, that's what you discuss in your first chapter. This is a hard pill, I think, for many Americans and Western Europeans to swallow. But I, I do yeah. think slowly the tide is, is turning as multipolarity it comes about and more people become critical and more and confident in, in criticizing uh, the U.S. empire. Where do you feel the empire is at right now? And, and then, you know, that, that can then lead us into your thoughts on the rise of China, Belt and Road, which you discussed at the end of your book, BRICS and, and multipolarity. Throughout history, empires have risen and fallen. Some of the most successful empires were those that offered people a reason to come, often lower taxes and the prospect of citizenship. In ancient times, empires would say foreigners can become one of us and prosper through business and trade. Throughout history, people have gravitated to jurisdictions that have given them the best conditions to do business. So if you run a business, you should consider nomad capitalists because they help entrepreneurs and investors relocate to parts of the world where they can keep more of their wealth. They literally wrote the book on it, The Best-Selling Nomad Capitalist. Find it on Amazon. If you're an entrepreneur or investor and believe you're paying too much in tax, 
or if you'd like to get a second passport or a third passport like I have to expand your options and not have to be reliant on one government, there are legal ways to do this. Nomad Capitalist has been assisting over a thousand clients for the last 10 years. You can check out their 2,000 plus educational YouTube videos and nearly 2,000 blogs. Just go to nomadcapitalist.com. Learn how they can help you legally reduce your tax bill, expand your options globally, and navigate the algorithm ghetto. Well, I, I fully agree with you that it's a bitter pill to swallow for people in the West. Um, I'm, I'm based here in Switzerland, so that's part of the West. All countries that surround Switzerland, which is Germany in the North, Italy in the South, France in the West, and Austria in the East, or in the West. So I, I'm deeply embedded uh, in the Western culture, um, the US and Canada obviously are the West. And we have to, to, you know, just realize that we're 1 billion out of 8 billion people in the world. The West is 1 billion. So there's another seven <laughs> India, China, the countries of Africa, et cetera. And the West, um, uh, has traditionally thought of itself, uh, with a lot of high esteem, you know, in the sense that what we do is good. And, um, if, if the others disagree, they just don't understand. And there has been a discussion in, 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 in historical circles in the West, um, about British imperialism. You know, the Brit British, you know, controlled India for a time, as you know, uh, Australia for a time, as you know, parts of Africa. The French controlled parts of Africa for a time and Vietnam, um, uh, and, and other parts uh, in uh, uh, Southeast Asia. And, and that has been criticized, you know, it, it's, it's now standard narrative to say French imperialism is wrong. Uh, British imperialism is wrong. But, you know, it's a long, long time ago. And people try to, to think that American, that U.S. imperialism does not exist. You know, that imperialism ended. <laughs> it's, it's sort of vanished. It's not here anymore. Uh, uh, when, when the British left Hong Kong or so. <laughs> and my book, in the book, I try to say that um, it is an empire, that the US is an empire, very much like the British were an empire or the Dutch were an empire when they colonized Indonesia or when the, the French controlled Algeria. But still, this, this narrative is difficult. Um, and so in the beginning of the book, I, I uh, very specifically say that there are 330 million people in the US and when I criticize U.S. imperialism, I do not criticize 330 million people. I don't, um, because I've traveled in the U.S. and I've met wonderful people, really, uh, in many places. I was in, in Washington State. I was in Washington, D.C. I was in New York. I was in uh, Florida. I was in California. And I've met wonderful people. But the, the critic... The critic, uh, criticism that I offer in this book is really, uh, regarding the U.S. wars. I, I criticize, for instance, the attack on Vietnam. I say it's absolutely unnecessary that the U.S. bombed Vietnam, uh, from 1964 to 1975. Killed more than three million people. So it's not a small thing. And I say the victims are on the one hand, the Vietnamese that were killed there, but on the other hand, also U.S. soldiers. Uh, who were lied, who were lied to, you know, by their own government. The government of President Johnson, that was in 1964, said, you know, we were attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin. And as you said, it was a false flag uh, narrative. There was, there was no attack on the Maddox. There wasn't. So the, the start of the Vietnam War in August 1964, and I have it in the book, it's just based on lies and all these uh, American soldiers who, who got shot there or traumatized or, you know, lost an arm, lost a leg, lost hope, lost, lost, lost their inner peace. Um, there are victims as well. So I, I specifically say I'm critical of the American elite, which is less than 1% of the population. They wage, wage all these wars. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it remains a difficult topic. It remains a difficult topic. Also here in Europe, it's it's hard to talk about U.S. imperialism. Some some people say it doesn't exist. There's no U.S. imperialism. Then I say, wait a moment. Do the Germans have military bases in the U.S.? No, it's the U.S. which has a military which has many military bases in Germany. Do the Italians have military bases in the U.S.? No, it's the Americans who have military bases in Italy. Do the Japanese? Japanese have military bases in the U.S.? No, it's the U.S. who has military bases in Japan. Uh, this, the Koreans, South Korea, do they have military bases in the U.S.? No, no, it's the U.S. who has military bases in South um, Korea. 
Do, do the Cubans have military bases in the U.S.? No. But you, the U.S. has a military base in Cuba, Guantanamo. The Philippines, do they have military base in the U.S.? No, it's the other way around. So when you look at it from a historical perspective, and you know, I, I really appreciate the work you do, and I know you're, you're familiar with all that. But when you look at it from an objective point of view, with all the military bases, uh, then it's a, a clear-cut fact. The U.S. Uh, is, is at the moment uh, the, the ruling empire. Yeah, and especially for Europeans as well, and I'm also a Croatian uh, European citizen, and uh, I, I see the same thing as you do when I go back uh, to uh, Croatia and travel in Europe. Um, it's it's hard to swallow for Western uh, Europeans uh, because I think in a way we are vassals uh, of the U.S. You know, the EU was a project from what I remember, 50% plus financed by the CIA and the State Department. And it, it almost seems like I've been thinking about this recently. There's a 1939 plan by a guy called Straits called Atlantic Union to sort of integrate Europe uh, with the United States into one sort of transatlantic political uh, system. And, and you know, we've seen this throughout with, with the Ukraine war. And again, I, you mentioned the Tonkin. I love that. This is why I love your book, because it's a broad uh, stroke, uh, big picture of what's going on. And I would assign to my students to read the, the declassified NSA files, I think it was from the early 2000s on the Tonkin Gulf or the Operation yep. Ajax from, you know, the 30 page actual CIA plan of uh, of ajax i mean this is what professors should be uh doing and then maybe uh what are your thoughts then on the rise of china and then what we're seeing in in uh europe with ukraine i think a lot of us understand um kind of what's going on here nato expanding uh wanting to dominate globally uh they see threats in the rise of china and and the world island and, and eurasia uh you, you mentioned seymour hirsch in your book often and we've seen him re lately reporting for example on false flags such as uh Nord yep. stream and so what are your sort of thoughts as to w where we are and wh what's going on with china russia and and uh ukraine well, that's that's obviously the the crucial topic right now that everybody's talking about Ukraine. I mean, the uh, Russian invasion of uh, 24 uh, February 2022 uh, was clearly illegal. So, you know, you can't invade in another country, very much like the US invasion of Afghanistan was illegal. You just can't invade another country. You can't do it. But and that's an important point. Um, it was not unprovoked because that's what Western media always say. It was unprovoked and illegal. No, no, it was illegal, but it was not unprovoked. And what, what was the provoking thing? It was really the expansion of NATO. So um, I, I do a lot of talks in, in Germany, Switzerland and Austria. And the main thing in Germany is that Germany was a divided country. Um, I know that you know that and I know it. And, you know, some people in the audience who, who might be 15 or 20 years old maybe don't remember. Germany, like North Korea and South Korea today, was it in the Cold War divided into countries? So it was Eastern Germany and Western Germany. And uh, the DDR, uh, the Eastern Germany, was occupied by Soviet forces. And then at the end of uh, 1990, um, the, the Germans and the, the Russians or the Soviets talked together, and then the Soviets withdrew all their troops, 500,000 troops. That was Gorbachev, who was the last um, uh, uh, president of the Soviet Union. And then the Soviet Union in 1991 collapsed into 15 different states. And Ukraine being one of them, Russia and Kazakhstan, etc. And the important point is that at that time, um, the NATO and the Americans promised to the Russians that they would not expand NATO further um, to the east. And they kept that promise uh, for nine years. <laughs> and in 99, uh, Bill Clinton, US President Bill Clinton, first of all, bombed Serbia, which was again illegal. Um, and he expanded NATO. He, he, he took in Poland. Uh, he took in Hungary and uh, uh, the Czech Republic. And, and, and it was just, you know, for, from a Rus Russian perspective, it was like, no way. Now the US is expanding its military alliance. Because you said very correctly that the Europeans are in a sort vassals. I mean, they they tend to think that they're independent. They tend to say, no, no, we're free. And of course, we're not, um, you know, subordinate to the US. But I mean, look at Germany. I mean, Germany is said to be the, the strongest country in Europe. And certainly from an economic point of view, it is. But uh, if, you, if you look at it, it's, it's basically occupied by the US. US has military bases all over Germany, Rammstein being the biggest one. And, and so you have this e expansion of NATO, 
Um, in 2004, we have uh, Romania, Bulgaria, Slovakia, um, and Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, who come into, into NATO, and, and it just, you know, step by step grows. So Ukraine is the topic everybody's talking about. But I would, when, 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 when we can talk about this topic as well, we first of all have to say, well, I'll, my perspective is, yes, the Russian invasion of Vladimir Putin uh, is illegal, but NATO expansion was uh, the key reason why we came to this catastrophic situation that we are now in. And this NATO expansion was was then reaching a higher level when in 2014, um, U.S. President Obama um, uh, overthrew the government in Ukraine. That not many people know that. Many people think, no, Obama, you know, he's 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 received the Nobel Peace Prize. He's he's going to be a good guy. But he bombed Libya 2011. He bombed Syria 2014. And in 2014, he overthrew the government um, in Kiev. And that was Victoria Nuland who was in charge under Secretary of State. And uh, she, she, she was, you know, making a phone call um, with then um, U.S. Ambassador in Kiev, uh, Jeffrey Pyatt. And this phone call was intercepted. We don't know who intercepted it. You know, it was top secret. Uh, but the data is now available for historians. And the, the data clearly sh shows that she says the new government should be Yatsenyuk. And he's the new guy who, who becomes prime minister. And he doesn't become prime minister through an election. There are snipers uh, on the roofs in uh, in Kiev who shoot both demonstrators and uh, uh, and police. So, you know, that's classic uh, strategy of tension technique, and it's a coup d'etat. So I'm saying... Yes, the Russian invasion is illegal, but also the U.S. coup d'etat in, in, in Ukraine in 2014, so eight years before the invasion, was also illegal. And the government in Kiev has carried out a civil war for eight years, killing 14,000 people. Nobody cared, you know. We had corona. We had different issues. We were talking about many things, but we were not talking about Ukraine. And uh, it, it's only when the Russian invaded that, you know, Western media here in Switzerland or uh, in, 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 yeah, in Germany, in, in Great Britain, in France, started really to count the people who are dying in, in Ukraine. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. I, I, I do have to say it's terrible to see war in Europe. But I think it's totally hypocritical that you only start to, to count the deaths after the Russians invaded. Why don't you count the deaths, uh, after the military, after the coup d'etat of the Americans? And why don't you, why don't you basically, um, about the coup and this is this is something that we can do here on your youtube channel or on my youtube channel but the bigger television networks they don't they don't talk about the coup d'etat and this this brings me to the BRICS. the this this movement of nato first expansion then the overthrow of the government in ukraine and also the invitation uh, to ukraine to become a nato member this has really angered russia and so Russia and India have become much, much, much closer. And Russia and China have become much, much, much closer. Russia and Brazil have become much closer. And Russia and South Africa. So this whole BRICS uh, structure um, has really become a network which, um, which now leads to a, a multipolar world. I mean, I'm, I'm totally convinced that the multipolar world is, is in... in is is in the making in front of our very eyes, and uh, the West has to has to read Russian texts. We have to read Chinese text. We have to read Indian text. We have to read text from Brazil. We have to read text from South Africa. Otherwise, we don't understand it. If we just read English, American, French, German, Swiss, and Italian text, you know, we're we're, we're basically moving in in the NATO in the NATO story world. <laughs> And that's that's just one billion, one billion people. It's not everybody. Yeah, that's what I try to do on my socials is share uh, information from all sources, uh, you know, for, directly from Russian government and Chinese government sources. And um, yeah, I actually had the privilege of shaking hands with the last president of the uh, Soviet Union, uh, Gorbachev, six years ago when I was in. Oh, you met uh, him personally. Yeah, okay. we, we, I was on a tour with Sharon Tennyson of Center for Citizens Initiatives. We went on a tour. On a tour. We met uh, Vladimir Posner, uh, the famous Russian media figure, had two hours with Gorbachev. Actually, Gorbachev was um, awarded an honorary doctorate at my alma mater, the Geneva School of Diplomacy. He was supposed to come to my graduation in 2009, but he couldn't for medical reasons. His right hand man and translator came. But. 
I caught up with him uh, in Moscow many years later. And, uh, you know, on, on this program, I've, I've had, by the way, you mentioned Syria just this morning. I'm reading there are illegal troops, U.S. troops in, in Syria. And I, I recall a few months ago, uh, someone asked the U.N. about those troops and the U.N.'s like, no, there's no U.S. Uh, presence in, in, in Syria. And they just killed uh, a Syrian civilian uh, today. They're, they're taking 80 percent of Syrian um, oil and uh, I, I've had the former British ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, on the program as well some years ago. Uh, but I, I've talked to people like Terry Maison of Voltaire Network, uh, Guy Matan. Yeah, he knows the story. Yeah, and Guy Matan, the Swiss uh, journalist. And uh, just on Ukraine, their conclusion is that one result of what's going on with Ukraine is de-industrial, the deindustrialization and collapse of of, of Europe. And, and they're, they're positing that the West, Washington kind of wants this. They kind of want to weaken uh, Europe. And uh, it's great what you laid out on multipolarity, but my fear is just your further thoughts on where this Ukraine war could go, its effect on Europe, and then the potential for it to escalate to like a third world war. I mean, I certainly see the point that the US does not want uh, Europe to prosper economically. I mean, Germany, um, on, on the ranking of the big, we have 193 nations in, uh, on, on that globe. And the US and China are, are, let's say, one and two. I'm not saying which one is the biggest economy because it's a huge debate. But, you know, China has uh, has made a huge step uh, forward. And uh, let's still say US is on one and China is on two. But this is about to switch. And, uh, and on, on, on the third uh, space, there's Japan. And on the fourth is already Germany. Okay, so that's something very important. That's that Germany is the fourth biggest economic power. And uh, you rightly say that the American, the US elite, again, I'm not talking about, about US population, I'm talking about the US elite, which is running um, foreign policy, like the neocons and uh, people who, who, who want a new American century, etc. And they say um, that when Germany gets cheap gas from Russia, and they did, you know, get cheap gas from Russia for a long time, then Germany is going to, as an industrialized state, it's going to be stronger and stronger and stronger. So on the 26th uh, of September in 2022, the North Stream pipelines uh, were taken out by a terrorist attack. And I, I fully go with Seymour Hersh's analysis, who says this was an attack carried out on the orders of U.S. President Joe Biden. So I think Joe Biden has destroyed Nord Stream. And if that is a fact, um, uh, by the way, uh, Seymour Hersh says Victoria Newland was also involved. Um, uh, so that's interesting. Victoria Newland is, is the lady who overthrew the government in Kiev and who takes out Nord Stream. So she's created quite a bit of chaos here in Europe, but nobody talks about her. You know, you, you ask somebody in Switzerland, who is Victoria Newland? They go like, I don't know. They only know Joe Biden. They know Joe Biden. He's the president. But they don't know the details. They don't know um, um, that that there's an agenda to dis actually destroy the cooperation between Russia and Germany. George Friedman uh, from Stratford, he once said it in 2015. He gave a talk. Uh, I think it was in Chicago. I, I'm not sure, but I think it was in Chicago. George Friedman talk where he said, we basically have to see to it that Russia and Germany are not working together as close partners because otherwise they get too strong. And he says U.S. policy has always been uh, basically to, to destroy that cooperation. And the explosion of North Stream is really, to me, the, <clears throat> the, um, the most obvious. I mean, I mean, everybody has to agree that North Stream was blown up. And um, when we when we look at the work of Seymour Hersh, we have to give him the credit that he's the sort of guy who who has very high placed sources in the Pentagon and in the CIA. He never, never, ever gives out the names of these guys, but he, I think, he just got it right. And and Joe Biden at the time in February two thousand and twenty two said, "We will take out North Stream." He said it. You know, we we don't want this cooperation. We have the means to do it. And as you said, uh, Germany is now paying a, a hefty price for that. I mean, German economy is in, in serious trouble um, for, for many different reasons. I mean, they put all their money into the Ukraine war, uh, send over their leopard tanks, and the Russians destroy them over there. And the uh, the German government is it's really not doing what the German population wants because there, there's been a 
There's, there's been a poll recently and 55% of the population said, we want peace talks. We don't want war with Russia because the German population, they still remember Operation Barbarossa uh, when Hitler invaded um, uh, the Soviet Union. And they still remember that the, in the end, the Soviets then, you know, arrived in Berlin. So, so they say, we don't want that anymore. We just, let's have peace in Ukraine. Even, you know, if you have to make concession and say, okay, then the Krim goes uh, to Russia or parts of, of the eastern part of Ukraine go to Russia. So that's the feeling in Germany. But the, the government doesn't respect that at all. And um, I, I have talks in Germany, yeah, many talks actually, uh, in Munich, in, in Dortmund, in, in Hannover, in the big cities. And it's very difficult for me to say, first of all, your nation is not a sovereign nation. You're under... You, you suffer from limited sovereignty because the Americans have military bases here. Secondly, the Americans blew up Nord Stream and you don't even have the guts to say that's not right. You know, the German chancellor, Olaf Scholz, he didn't say anything, nothing. And third, by, by arming um, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, you're being dragged into a war with Russia, you know. And, and that's not actually a good idea for Germany. The, the, the Germans train uh, Ukrainian soldiers on German soil, and they always pretend, no, no, we're not at war. Yes, we send weapons. No, but we're not at war. Yes, we train uh, uh, Ukrainian soldiers, but we're, we're not at war. So it's, it's really complete denial. It's not a, it's not a systematic analysis of, of uh, international politics. Yeah, and just on Nord Stream, uh, you know, often uh, my guests predict uh, the, the future here. And I had on, I think in October of 2022, um, Vietnam veteran Bob Moriarty, who listens to the program, shout out to uh, Bob. Uh, and he posited that it was the CIA fingerprints behind Nord Stream. And then later, as you say, you see more Hirsch's analysis and others are kind of confirming that. And we're seeing more of that st stuff like the Kerch Bridge recently, the dam uh, being exploded and, and it just continues. And it maybe, just continues. It's it's a it's 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 a it's a fight on infrastructure. And and Bill Burns, who's now the CIA director, he was actually the U.S. ambassador uh, in Moscow um, in 2008 at the time when George Bush invited Ukraine to become a NATO member, which is foolish. And Bill Burns, to his credit, at the time wrote the memorandum and said uh, we shouldn't invite Ukraine into NATO. This this will lead to civil war. Okay, he said "yet" means "yet." And uh, that was classified. But thanks to Julian Assange, who should be freed, by the way, Julian Assange should be freed. He's still in prison in London. But thanks to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, we have that memorandum from Bill Burns. So I think Bill Burns, the now acting director of the CIA, um, is a guy who fully understands uh, how the whole thing developed. He even warned of it. But uh, according to Seymour Hersh, he was... Um, he was involved together with uh, Victoria Newland and uh, Jake Sullivan in the in the uh, in the terrorist attack on on Nord Stream. So it, it really is interesting to see that, that Germany is now, in a sense, also at war with the US. You know, because when you have thirty-one NATO countries, and one that the idea in NATO is that you don't attack each other, <laughs> okay, and then US blows up. Um, the uh, infrastructure of Germany and the Norwegians help, well, then that's two NATO countries against another NATO countries. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. This should be headline news. But, you know, people, people talk about football here. <laughs> they don't talk about that. Uh, it's that too delicate. And that's why I call it the North Atlantic terrorist uh, organization. And I mean, because of the work you've done on, on Gladio and, and uh, others. And, you know, just on that note regarding NATO, it just continues to expand, uh, you know, Finland and Sweden, and they want to take in Ukraine and then Georgia again. Uh, they want to create an Asian NATO. They're opening offices in Japan. They want to give nukes to South Korea um, and, you know, nuclear subs to Australia. It's like they're preparing uh, for war with China. And, it, it, you know, like they're creating a world imperial army controlled by Washington, London and and Brussels, and then couple that with the regime change operations, we continue to see color revolutions, uh, which my thesis was written on. And like in Kazakhstan, they tried it last year. In Pakistan, they, they you know they took out Imran Khan. Uh, Bolivia, Peru, 
uh, here in Mexico, my my president AMLO just uh, sent a letter to Biden openly like a, a week or two ago saying, tell USAID to stop financing the Mexican opposition. Uh, and so just your, your your thoughts on this continued expansion of NATO and these uh, regime change operations that we continue to see. I think it's a bit of an overstretch, you know, imperial overstretches when you when you try. I mean, 193 countries is, is, is a lot of countries, right? <laughs> and if you try, you know, to pick a fight with all of them, um, you will ob obviously have a problem. And I think the, the US has now has is, is in this phase of imperial overstretch. I mean, the, the Trump administration tried to overthrow the government uh, of Chavez in, in Venezuela. They didn't succeed. Um, uh, the Obama administration tried to overthrow um, um, in Syria uh, the government uh, of Assad, President Assad. They didn't succeed. I mean, they you know they they stirred up um, unrest. They they armed radical Muslims, and the idea was to get rid of Assad. And it was actually already then. People often forget the Syrian uh, uh, civil war, which was obviously not a civil war; it was an international war. But the conflict in Syria was the first moment when Putin said, it's enough. Because basically, Assad called Putin and said, the Americans are trying to overthrow me here. <laughs> Can you help me? And then Putin went in and, and bombed all these radical Muslims that had been armed by, by the MI6 and the CIA. And, and, and so Assad is still in power. And if, if we move on on, the, on that topic of regime change, it, it looks to me as if the Americans, I mean, I, I don't have definite proof, but it, it looks to me that they all also tried to overthrow Erdogan, the president in Turkey. Um, I'm not sure. Do you, do you have like solid facts on that one? No, but I'd, I'd agree with you. It seems like they tried in 2016 and, and failed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the tw 2016 attempt was certainly an attempt to overthrow the government. I mean, that's proven, but it's, it's still, to me, it's still a little bit unclear whether the U.S. were behind it, but it, it looks like it. But, the, you know, as, as a historian, I have to be cautious where I'm sure and where I'm speculating. And, and there on the Turkish, I'm speculating, but er Erdogan certainly is convinced the Americans tried to overthrow him. And that leads him to to you know to to flirt with the BRICS. Uh, he, he he's he's a NATO country. I mean, Turkey is a NATO country, and Turkey does not take part in the uh, economic sanctions in the economic war against Russia. They just don't do it. And um, also Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia is another one of these countries which is not anymore under total control of the U.S. It wasn't a very very strong control of the U.S. after the Second World War. You know, there were very strong um, relationships between Washington and Riyadh. But now, as you can see, the the Saudis uh, sell part of their oil not anymore in dollar, but they sell it in yuan and, and, and they sell it to the Chinese, and they say. The U.S., you have nothing, you know, you, you, you actually don't have to dictate our foreign policy. And so your question was, is, is what do I think about all these regime changes? Well, first of all, I think they are illegal. And secondly, I think it has come to a point where um, they backfire. There, there are many, you know, publications on blowback where you actually do something and do it again and again and again. And in the end, it backfires and you have negative results. And I think we're we are in this in this situation because the coup in Ukraine 2014, as I said before, and I, I write it in my book, I say it's a coup by uh, by the US, not by the people, again, not by the people in in the US, wonderful people, but by the US government and the um, the elite. And, and it really backfires now because at the beginning it looked promising, you know, they could install a new government and then this new government, you know, was buying a lot of weapons from Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and Boeing. So weapon sales went up and BlackRock and Vanguard and all these investment companies were all happy. And so at the first glance, you'd say it worked out. But now you see um, with the seizing of Russian assets, a lot of Russian assets were, were, were actually confiscated in the West. That has led the Chinese, the Russians and the Saudis and the Indians to rethink. They say, have you seen what happened with all that money, Russian money, several billions, uh, which was in the US, which was in Switzerland, which was in Germany, which was in England. And the banks just said, oh, this is a bank account from Gazprom. 
Well, as of now, you cannot access your money. Okay, it's it's locked. I mean, guess what? The Chinese have seen that. The Russians have seen it. The Indians have seen it. The South Africans have seen it. People in Brazil have seen it. I mean, people on, on the political level. And they say, we can't trust NATO countries. We just can't trust them anymore. And now, if I, if I go back to global perspective, we're 31 members in NATO. 31, because you mentioned Finland has joined. Sweden is not in yet. So it's 31. Finland is number 31. But we have 193 countries. So minus 31, that's 162 countries. That's still a lot of countries. And look at how, how different, how differently they look at, at the world. The, the main problem I see here in Switzerland or, or also in the US or in Germany is that people, they read The Economist, you know, published in UK. They read the New York Times, published in the US. And then they read the Washington Post, published in, in the US. Then they read Der Spiegel, which is a German news magazine. Then they read Neue Zürcher Zeitung. And then they, they watch Austrian television, ORF. And then they think they have an international perspective because they jump from country to country. But they basically move within NATO ter territory. And as you said before, and, and rightly so, uh, it is very important to, to read Chinese data, uh, Russian text, South African text, and Brazilian text, because they, they really look at the world in a, in a multipolar world. And that's the new, that's the new thing that, which is evolving. I, I, I've had a little taste of what you, you mentioned, you know, in 2021. My Patreon was frozen, uh, terminated. And then last year, the Department of Homeland Security uh, banned me from PayPal together with Consortium News and, and Mint Press News. And so it's kind of uh, freaky what's going on. But, you know, uh, I, I did it's information I warfare. You know, it's information warfare. They try to silence you by taking away the money. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's um, interesting. And uh, let me uh, ask you. Uh, so it has to be irrelevant what you say, you know. Yeah. It has to be irrelevant what you say. <laughs> I mean, that's a good sign that that they find my little old me, uh, one dude with a microphone, uh, that important to to do what <laughs> what they're doing. And um, I haven't really seen you comment on what's been going on the last um, couple of years. The whole I call it COVID nineteen eighty four. In your book, you discuss. You know, America as an oligarchy, I think that's clear. And it seems that the oligarchy, the oligarchs in, are increasingly consolidating power at a global level. And we're seeing this, uh, you know, like a World Economic Forum. We had re just recently the Bilderberg meeting in, in Portugal. Um, Kissinger was there. And, you know, it, it seems like they still have these plans for global domination. My my guest just before you was Richard Gage, who you're familiar with. And, you know, he, he also thinks that you know, we had 9-11 and then we had like COVID-9-11, which is like uh, more of the the same. And, you know, Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. now who's running for president. He's come out and said that COVID was like a CIA Department of Defense um, operation to take control of nations. And I mean, I, and, you know, I interviewed in January of 2020 uh, Dr. Francis Boyle, the, the author of the Bioweapons Act. And that interview blew up and caused caused us a lot of uh trouble uh and he posited that this was biological warfare do, do you have any thought on you know what happened with with covid and then all this talk about you know world economic forum and, and great reset and and uh these digital controls and because you, you do talk about digital um empire as well in in the book I do, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm cautious as far as uh, COVID is. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm more reluctant. I'm not saying uh, it is this or that. I'm still like, it erupted in 2020 and in 21 and 22. So basically, the Corona years for me is 2020 and 21. Um, here in Switzerland, we had a lockdown in March 2020, which is really shocking. You know, I was going like, what? The kids are not going to school. What? We're not allowed to shake hands anymore. What? Everybody has to wear masks. So I, I really thought this was, this was totalitarian. And I, I, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it. And then, uh, obviously the World Health Organization is based in Switzerland for one. And the World Economic Forum, uh, is, is, is gathering in, in Davos in the Swiss mountains. So, you know, it's not that I'm far away from the whole story. I'm, 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 I'm pretty close to it. And I've, I've seen all these, you know, analysis, um, that it, that it is, um, a CIA operation, you know, to 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 set up a, a global dictatorship run by the World Health Organization, and so 
And I've seen that. I'm not sure whether I'm convinced, I have to say. You know, it might be, but maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm 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 still in this in this uh, in this mood of what was that? What was that? What did they do? Who was involved? Who knew what? And and why did they do what they did? Um, as far as uh, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr. is concerned, I would certainly vote for him as uh, as as a president if I if I was a U.S. citizen. I'm a Swiss citizen, so I can't vote for him. But I think he he's a very honest and courageous guy. Obviously, they smear and attack him where they can, but I advise everybody to to really look at Robert Kennedy Jr. on the internet when he speaks. You know, he speaks without any teleprompter. He he speaks from the heart. Um, very very interesting man, and I know he's highly critical of um, the Corona measures of of basically of limiting civil liberties. And there I'm also very critical. I, I don't like it at all if somebody tells me you have to stay at home and you cannot invite 10 friends. That's too much. You can have max two <laughs> and all these things. You know, that's my private business. And the government doesn't have to tell me what I have to do. And when the Swiss government came out and said, you know, everybody has to do the uh, vaccination, I didn't do it. I, I definitely didn't do it. I didn't trust this um this vaccination, but that's my personal perspective. It's not my perspective as a historian. It's just I don't like it if people attack my liberties, and I don't like it if, when they say you have to take this vaccine. And I didn't even test it, you know. Uh, and they said this vaccine will prevent the spread of the virus. No, it doesn't. <laughs> we 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 now see it doesn't at all. Uh, it 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 will. Uh, it has no side effect. Oh yes, it has side effects. Not for everybody, but for some people, it has side effects. So really, the the corona story um, to me is um, proof that we have to think for ourselves. We cannot just let the government uh, run the show because the government says we've checked everything and this is the right way. And then they go that way. And afterwards, you find out that's the wrong way. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of, of, of all governments, of the German government, of the Swiss government, of the French government, of the Italian government, of the Austrian government, of the US government, of the British government, because they all basically put a lot of pressure on, on their populations, on their respective populations. And um, I've never seen that before in my life. I'm now 50 years old. Never yeah. seen that. Yeah, you know, many guests, you know, I, I had on Mark Faber, uh, I think he's uh, originally from Swiss, uh, investor based yeah, yeah. in Thailand. He said, yeah. in all of history, this is unprecedented what we went um, through. And, you know, like you, I've never taken a PCR test. I've not, I call it, I have not taken the Pentagon juice, as I call it. And uh, yeah, what you said on RFK Jr., like, um, I think I, I only voted once Republican for Ron Paul, who had the great privilege of meeting uh, last weekend in um Texas and, and hanging out with Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute. And um I think I'm gonna vote as a Democrat for the first time for RFK Jr. I mean it's it's the last yep. time we'll be able to vote probably for a Kennedy. And he just he's just his you can't compare. He blows everyone out of the water, as you said, in terms of what he's talking about, his foundational knowledge about everything. He's talking about COVID. He's saying and, and he speaks and he speaks without, you know, without a teleprompter. Take the teleprompter away from President Joe Biden, and then, you know, he he will he will be at a loss. Not so Robert Kennedy Jr. He speaks without a teleprompter, and um, he has he he knows, you know, he, he has these, these these sentences. He goes like, "The media lie to the U.S. population, and the U.S. population knows it, and they're sick of it." I mean. Joe Biden would never say that, okay? And so there, there, there are a few guys out there, um, also women who, who who are honest and who who try to protect civil liberties. It's very important, you know. Freedom is is something which which has to be cherished. It's not, it has not. If we give it up for some sort of dictatorship, that would be just a huge mistake. Um, let's 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 fight for our freedoms, definitely. And let's not have these illegal wars all the time. These are these are the two things that I work on such a lot. I I, I say the data is there. We I mean, take Iraq, two thousand and three. There were no weapons of mass destructions. There were none. So it was a lie. Who were the victims? The people in Iraq who were killed. Who is now in prison? Julian Assange. For heaven's sake, he's a journalist. With the video collateral murder, he proved. That U.S. soldiers in Baghdad 
fired down from an Apache helicopter on civilians. Why? Why is he in prison? And and Tony Blair, Prime Minister of of UK, is free. And Bush is free. You know, these guys walk free. They are the guys who are to blame for the invasion. So really, I think that the time is now here that we have uh, take a much more critical approach um, to which governments do. Uh, crimes in high places is 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 uh, is really is really something that that we can observe. And and you talked of Richard Gates, right? Yeah. I mean. I'm fully convinced, and I write it in this book, which doesn't make it easier, <laughs> but I also go into 9-11, because 9-11 led to the war in Afghanistan. And if we if we ever have will understand the war in Afghanistan, 250,000 people killed or more, um, then we have to go to 9-11. And many people think on 9-11, we only have the Twin Towers, which collapsed, but that's not true. We had a third tower, and that was World Trade Center 7. And it also collapsed like that in seven seconds, like that. You have to really watch it. For those who have never seen it, World Trade Center 7, it just takes you 10 seconds to watch it. And it just goes against its own footprint, and that's impossible. This is controlled demolition. And if we have controlled demolition on 9-11, we realize that on very important subjects, we have not been told the truth. Yeah, and and you, you mentioned Assange, and that we, I think we should also mention most recently, uh, who's been a guest on my podcast as well, Kit Klarenberg, the British journalist based in Serbia, uh, writes for the Grey Zone. He recently went back for family visit to UK, was interrogated for five hours by the U British counterterrorism officers. So they're implying he's a terrorist for being a journalist. They took all of his electronic devices, his D- DNA swabs, and that, that sort of leads me to uh, you know one, one of my final questions uh, one of my biggest obsessions as you just mentioned yours is you know the, the wars and 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 freedom and uh, i'm greatly concerned with uh, the digital empire as you call it uh, or as one of my past guests edwin black calls it the algorithm ghetto because he's he's a jewish historian he compares it to the physical um, ghetto that the jews were put in and that they're building this digital system where they're going to put us into a digital ghetto and then if you don't comply with whatever the government wants you to comply with, as you mentioned, whether it's vaccines or whatever ideology or the correct perspective on the war in Ukraine, they just shut off your bank accounts. We've seen uh, just this year, Jeremy McKenzie, Canadian military veteran, had his bank accounts shut and no other bank in Canada will open a bank account for him. A podcaster in Australia, Maria Zaric, just had her bank account um, shut. And then you talk about the social credit system in China and how that's coming yep. to, to the West. And uh, that's sort of my biggest fear because they're trying to remove cash daily I'm, I'm i'm on top of this and you're just seeing them roll out all these digital systems and then what happens if, if you can't pay with cash you can't buy food you can't work you can't you can't travel you can't do anything uh any thoughts uh on you know the incoming social credit system yeah it is, it is a clear and present danger and i think local communities uh, with decentralized structures who produce their own food who produce have their own currencies who stick together, who work together is, is probably the only answer. I, I don't see any other strategic option. I mean, these local communities don't, I mean, they exist in some parts, um, but obviously if somebody does not have a bank account uh, or if he if is not in the digital world at all, I mean, obviously we now, I'm in Switzerland, you're in Mexico, we profit from the digital world because we can you know, communicate at very low cost and publish at very low cost. Uh, so, so there's also benefits for it. But this digital revolution is really something which can also lead to mass surveillance and really to to have a social credit system which then goes global. I mean, it was set up in China. Um, uh, you know, people had a, a, a thousand points, and when when you when you crossed the road and was a red light, you know, which is illegal, but it's not a huge offense if you compare it to um, you know torturing people in Guantanamo. But, you know, they, then you cross the road, you, you lose some points because there are cameras everywhere. And obviously with the cameras, you can uh, identify people uh, automatically and the, and the algorithms then can then just, you know, count down your score. And, you know, these things were not possible 40 years ago. It was just technically impossible. And now we have drone warfare in Ukraine. Wake up. You know these these drones. I've, if if you if you watch it, the the Ukrainians use it, the Russians use it, and what you basically have is a soldier with his you know his little gadget there to to move the drone, and he he steers the drone, which is very low cost, maybe three hundred dollars, steers it directly into into a tank, which is several million dollars, 
and blows it up. Now, if that is possible to do that in Ukraine, you imagine a world where people do all these things. You know, they have their drones, they have the surveillance thing. So it all boils really down to the question of what will happen with all this technology. I mean, we love this technology on the one hand. It has, you know, it has helped us a lot. And on the other hand, we see if, if we add 20 or 50 years, where are we going to be? I mean, what, what, what will this mean for our kids and grandchildren? Uh, will this be the total surveillance state? So what, what will it be? And I, I tend to give a, a spiritual answer, you know, that the human being is, is uh, in the end, we're not just the body. So we have a spirit. And from this spirit, you know, all the strength has to come. And then we can overcome the problems with the machines. But some people obviously think human beings are just machines. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're, we're in, in, in essence, we're spirits. And if we connect on that level, on, on a spiritual level, uh, we can get a lot of strength. Obviously, I, I, I see what you're talking about. And I don't want to say it's not a problem. I, I, I think it's a challenge. It definitely is a challenge in the 21st century. We have surveillance technology like, we have, like never before. Edward Snowden told us the whole story, didn't he? And uh, he basically said, this is the end of privacy if we don't pay attention. And when, then we said, well, well, Edward Snowden is a funny guy and it's not my problem. And we just continued. But now, looking back, we have to say, okay, maybe, maybe it's an important topic that he raised. Well, yeah, when you have your uh, accounts being shot, you know, Alina Lip, the German journalist, had her bank account shot and then her parents' bank accounts shot who had nothing to do with uh, anything. And uh, let me uh, ask about the collapse of uh, American empire, because uh, Ray Dalio, the billionaire whose work I follow, he posts mostly on LinkedIn. He just posted a few days ago. Um, he talks about the cycles of empire and he was saying that he thinks we're going to see like a, a second sort of civil war uh in america we, you know de-dollarization is, is going on um the insane levels of of, of debt um do, do you have any you know as we close here any thought on this you know sort of collapse or decline of of uh america because you, you touched on bricks and multipolarity they're growing but mm -hmm. and any thought on what you know might happen to america i don't i, re I don't really know i mean that's uh, we're the year 2023 and i've been very cautious now on, on on anything that regards predictions i mean where will we be in 2030 will it be worse will it be better i i really don't know i'm very cautious i, I do take um the facts that we have you know what happened vietnam war 9 11 corona these things happened we know it and we can study these in detail and learn from it um but i i no sorry i couldn't tell you where where the us is in 2030 and i couldn't tell you where switzerland is in 2030 or or the european union in 2050 but we what we know and what we all observe as human beings is that we are living through times of transformation okay everything changes everything changes quickly we i personally had you know no idea that you know there could be something like a a global lockdown and people couldn't go to work or to school that was that was new to me, and now we have this confrontation in Ukraine, where 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 if one nuclear power, which is Russia, and the other nuclear power, which is U.S., and each has six thousand nuclear bombs, they 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 are fighting a proxy war in, in that country. I mean, I go, oh Jesus Christ, why do we have that? We don't want that. And then I try to visualize the positive things. I mean, just to you basically create what you visualize and when you visualize a dark future you're going to get a dark future when you visualize a bright future you have a chance that you get there and that my my vision is that we don't let governments just you know get away with all their crimes that's that's the first thing the second thing is that we learn to solve uh, conflicts without violence it you know it might sound difficult or impossible but we have the potential as human beings, as spiritual beings, we have the potential, you know, not to kill and not to lie. And we obviously also need media which give us the facts because many media outlets, you know, they just manipulate us in one story and then the next story. I mean, how much, how many lies on 9-11 we were fed? It's incredible. And the same with Corona, we were fed so many lies. So we need a revolution there on the media level as well. Um, 
So, yeah, to sum it up, I think we, we have great potential as human beings, great potential. And I was, in every interview, I tell, try to tell every, every listener who, who, who cares and who, who tunes in uh, to say, never underestimate the, the potential of the human family. We're, we're very strong. We're very strong. But we've been too, too obedient to, to governments for too long. And we've been, uh, too easily fooled by mainstream media for too long. And now it's time to, you know, put that aside and say, okay, we, we understand you fooled us. It's enough. I was going to ask you for your final thoughts, but I mean, that was perfect. Uh, great words of wisdom. And, uh, on a positive, upbeat note, because sometimes listeners complain that, um, we look at things a bit too darkly here. And so, uh, if you've got any other thought and then let us know where are the best places to, to follow you, find, find your work, support you, uh, and, and, and so forth. Yeah, the, the on a positive note, I really want to to stress that we are in in inform, information revolution situation right now, and maybe I, I explain this for people who are young, who are like twenty years old. They they don't realize it really because they were born into it. I'm now fifty years old, and when I was um, twenty five, I was a student in Amsterdam University, and then a pretty girl called Isabella from Cyprus came to me and said, "Daniele, um, do you come with me on the internet?" And I said, of course, what is that? Okay, that was in 1996. And then she replied, I don't know, but it seems interesting. Everybody's going. So that was in 1996. We, were, we didn't know what the internet is. And we went to a big room that was full of computers and they were online. So all the students, because students are always interested in new stuff. So we went there and there were uh, hyperlinks. And when you, you took your mouse and you... Um, uh, activated the hyperlink, and then the new picture would come. It took for ages, just for pictures. We're not talking videos. It took for ages. So we, like after 15 minutes, we were bored because it was so slow. But that was the internet. <laughs> and that was in 1996. So from a historical perspective, you know, this is only very, very recent. And then the second thing, in 2000 and, um Seven, a friend of mine showed me the first iPhone, which he had bought in New York. He was working with UBS, a Swiss bank, and he came back to Switzerland. And obviously, Apple sold the first iPhone in the US. And we were amazed. Wow, look at that, the first iPhone. Uh, and, uh, uh, and now we're 2023. And the situation we are in is, and that's really a positive note, we have access to so much information. You know, if we if we want to hear details of this or that, we can search for it. We can search for it. And that's what I advise everybody to do. Define your own question and then search for the answer. Don't wait what the media feeds you every day, you know, because they really keep you in a, in a, in, in a very limited spot. But if you, if you follow your own, own questions and if you, if you become creative, um, then we really have a lot of really a lot of potential because this information revolution is here. I mean, I'm now based in Switzerland. You, Jorge, are, are based in Mexico. We're having this communi communication here. Then you'll put it up on the internet and people can watch it for free. I know people are saying, well, that's normal, but it's not. I mean, historically, it has never been possible for a guy from Switzerland to talk to a guy from in Mexico and then publish it for free and people in Japan and in the U.S. can watch it. It's, it's, it's not been the case in the 16th century, not in the 17th century, not in the 18th century, not in the 19th century, and actually not in the 20th century. This is only in the 21st century, and we're only 23 years into this new century. So I'm very positive that we, we use this information revolution or an evolution of consciousness. And um, if that's happening, uh, and I, I see signs that this is happening, then people people will really come into their full potential. Yes, it's it's uh, fun participating in this, what I call uh, guerrilla information uh, warfare. And we do have to stop and, and uh, marvel uh, at this and not take it for granted. Even air travel. I, every time I fly, I, I marvel at it. And people, a lot of people take it for granted. And so people can get your... Previous books in English, I know a lot in, are in German, uh, but NATO Secret Armies on Gladio uh, and the new one from Skyhorse, um, USA Ruthless Empire, and then your website, danielleganser.ch. Um, any other place we can go or, or a way to support you? No, 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 that's it. Basically, that the, the data is in that book. If you're interested, read the book. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, most of my 
YouTube interviews or on my YouTube channel are, are in German. There's, there's maybe a TED talk I did once in, in Budapest, uh, which is also my YouTube channel. That one, that one is in English. There's a few videos in English, but not many on my YouTube channel. Sorry, most of my communication is in German. But you know, but it's you... very good talking to you, and 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 I, I thank you very much uh, that you gave me the opportunity to present my book and and talk about geopolitics. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.